Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Software Crafts podcast. I'm João, your host, and today with us we have Anand. He's an engineering lead for Mark 43, a public safety software company. Over the past decade, Anand has progressed from starting as an aspiring engineer to becoming an engineering leader. Anand also is a startup advisor, volunteer board member, an established tech mentor and coach outside of his daily role. He loves reading about engineering culture, team dynamics, and new advancements in tech. Hi, Anand, and thanks for your time today with us. Thank you so much for having me on the Software Craft Podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, I think that we're going to have a valuable episode. And uh, with these, I'm going to just say out loud the, the, the pattern. And the pattern is most valuable first. What is your experience with regards to this pattern? Yeah, uh, I think first, this is an excellent uh, choice of pattern to discuss or topic. Uh, the most valuable first, because uh, I think the valuable word in there is uh, of high interest because there is, uh, I would say, high degree of variance when we go from uh, different companies to different teams to even different individuals, uh, if I may. Uh, I can probably speak to this today only because I have had a lot of uh, learning experiences in terms of how to define value over um, the past decade. Uh, but if I were to uh, kind of just give my take on what most uh, valuable first means to kind of me or the team that I would operate in the moment, um, I would say it is uh, twofold. Uh, the first thing is, the first uh, uh, one of the two things is uh, probably more external focus. That is value in terms of the uh, target market that you are kind of going after. It could be millions of B2C customers. It uh, it could be a single B2B customer, or it could be a very large strategic customer for a new market. So the target market could differ uh, in terms of uh, what you're trying to achieve with that uh, problem or solution. Uh, so the value for external factor is dependent on, I would say, uh, what your target market can get out of that. And the second component is internal value. And that's why the internal value would be focused on, I would I would probably say if I had to pick a metric, it would be high ROI. Uh, and that simply means that in order to deliver that extrinsic value, uh, what amount of resources, effort, uh, operational cost, burnout did it take to deliver that value actually? and uh, that is important. That is probably subtle in terms of people really or companies get excited that we have this big customer. We need to get this uh, contract signed or we need to get them in the door. We need to retain them. They often pivot a huge amount of resources and then work overtime, cost burnout to deliver uh, or just kind of entice or just kind of work with that one customer. And two years later, you realize like, 
probably the customer's needs changed actually, because uh, this is also a factor that the external value for your target market is changing and evolving. What your customer or customers want today, they might want something completely different six months later actually. So I would say it's very um, kind of important to uh, plan wisely in terms of how much uh, resources, how much operational cost you're putting. Uh, and that is kind of a factor of intrinsic value that with decent amount of resources are being stretched to thin, uh, you are able to deliver maximum value for external customer. And that would be a win-win actually. So uh, high ROI internally with uh, high output and um, I would say satisfaction for your target market or customers. Very interesting, and uh, um, thanks to to share how you position these and how your teams in your current context do that. And before we deep dive on this last part, I was very interesting and very triggered by your answer in the beginning that value means different things based on the organization, teams, and individuals. My question is: You start as an engineer, and today we are a, you are an engineering lead how your perception of value change over time if it is changing how it was in the beginning of your career and how it is today yeah uh, i would say as a new engineer as a young engineer in the individual contributor track i i probably thought every single company or initiative is driven towards a for-profit mindset actually so i always thought that value is making more money or generating more revenue because if the top line numbers are more and more uh better the more kind of we get uh, uh, just as in the growing edge the more we get compensated the more we get benefits the more the company is stable and the work culture is able to kind of stake in there so i had a very i would say a singular opinion in terms of trying to tie value for a company with the amount of uh, i would say revenue it could generate or bring uh, to the table actually over time i realized that not every kind of uh, move or not every initiative is solely for money purpose some sometimes it is trying to as i said uh, trying to enter a new market money is last on its mind you are probably trying to break into a market which has dominant players already you cannot get overnight success or make millions it might mean that for the first six months, you need to just give away your solution for free. That's why they have these light tiers or they have these kind of trial plans or companies uh, often want to just kind of make the customers of that market aware like yes there are solution like this exists actually and you will continue to be a not so dominant player in that time. So you need to first find your I would say foothold or just kind of establish some sort of, um, I would say, leg in the ground uh, before trying to dictate the market in terms of pricing, market share, uh, charging customers, all that. So I understand that a lot of times, uh, this is just one example, like trying to approach a new market or segment. The value was simply that more people knew about us as a company. And that was valuable that today we got uh, 100,000 page views. Tomorrow we got 200,000. And that probably uh, we still did not have a single pay customer, but it said we delivered twice more value or 2x more value in three months because now 
twice the amount of people know about us. So that has kind of evolved over time in terms of, as I said, like value could either be monetary in one sense, could be strategic in the other sense, or it could simply be enterprise value that people love love your product or just uh, love your customer service. There simply could be that your value as a great company or what defines you is if any point in the year I had a problem, I could phone uh, the support line or send an email. And I know within 24 hours, my issue will be resolved uh, with less and less pain points, or I would always have a greeting uh, rep on the other side of the phone. And for folks, it is simply that like, okay, this company delivers value to my customer experience. That's it. So this is just kind of many flavors in terms of how each discipline might interpret value both internally and externally actually. Definitely, definitely. And that, that shows that there is lots to unpack just with this pattern. And uh, thanks for sharing your um, story with regards to value, how that went from value equals money to value that yeah. is more things around it. And now we talk about uh, part of the the is in external and internal value, as as I, I recall, mm-hmm. could be a target market for the, the external, but for the internal one, we'll start with I get ROI and uh, how the, the environment is. As an engineering lead leader, how do you enable your teams to figure out what is more valuable in the scope of their product or service or area of the organization where they are? Yeah, I think uh, this is probably one of those rare instances where some context uh, from the top does help. We always talk about bottom up or just kind of uh, uh, change uh, starting from kind of the the most uh, foundational level. But here, I think at least stating the high level business context or goals, it does not need to be kind of 10 things. It's as a business or as a company, our mission or our vision uh, or as companies now call our North Star goal for the next one year or three years is to maybe have twice the amount of paying customers or it is to reduce our AWS cost in half often comes up like our uh, uh, just uh, engineering infrastructure cost in half actually. So uh, I want to make sure that the team always has context and clarity in terms of what will be a success metric for the company or organization as a whole. Once you have that kind of baseline context, then it is upon the team to see that where does that team's charter fit in that overall value add that company is looking for. And that could be a series of just internal conversations within the team uh, in terms of do we understand kind of why we are set up as a team? What are we trying to deliver? Um, If not, there kind of definitely we can get more clarity and then Every time we are trying to break uh, kind of the work product into every smallest user story or just kind of any uh, PR or commit that we're trying to make to the code, trying to make sure that it ties to moving some needle at the higher higher up kind of in the sense. So often that does not mean that you just simply ignore work that is not business facing or product facing, but you need to be able to have that mind map on, even if I'm doing this refactor, does this make kind of my future development for delivering features more easier? Is that why I'm doing it uh, actually? So there's a constant kind of trade-off or prioritization that you need to do that any kind of 
product centric or tech centric work is delivering some sort of oral business value. And again, it's difficult to say that this is going to be evident that this delivers value now or in a week, but even kind of having some sort of finite timeline that, okay, within three months or six months, actually, you cannot also simply be too open-ended that, um, at some point, this this definitely will pay off. You need to have kind of that finite thing that if we made these things in six months time, our kind of uh, ability to deploy will be twice faster or we could push more code or features out actually and then work backwards. You cannot simply thinking, uh, think as I said, thinking in bets. You cannot simply think in bets constantly by not having kind of your finite uh, deadline in mind actually. So that is just a, a way for teams to structure that with some high level business context, trying to align or, or get clarity around how their day-to-day -day work, big or small product facing or non-product facing ties to uh, the overall kind of value addition to the company in some form of finite timeline, uh, not too soon because it could be red herring, false positives or not too far-fetched in the future. Otherwise, because that's also kind of just, you missed the train or it's just, uh, uh, does it defeats the whole purpose of delivering value if you say in three years we will be able to do it because there would be some company out there who would be able to do it in six months definitely and thanks thanks for uh explaining on this way i really like your words you talk about bets right we cannot always doing bets and what i'm interesting especially on this one sometimes i, I see teams feeling the pain of something and then they, okay, let's set up an experiment, try to fix this pain. They are successful. And then they go on this rhythm to try to fix the world. Oh, and there is pain there and pain there. Even if it is not related. Did you ever saw something similar to this pattern with teams or not? I think it is uh, because... Uh... And, and it's it's natural kind of just in terms of your mindset as a team or just from the human standpoint, like if teams are given, which, which kind of we try to do for all of our teams, uh, give them, as I said, high level objectives, but then a lot of autonomy in terms of uh, how they structure themselves, how they deliver work or how they operate internally. And autonomy can at times lead to uh, subjective ways to address it. Uh, some person on the team might feel that this is an area of pain point and by fixing this, we will be able to deliver value. Some person might have totally a different opinion. It could simply be that, uh, yes, it just slows you down, but it has nothing to do with delivering value or it could simply be that you this kind of area of the code, for example, in engineering just irks you so much, but it's perfectly fine the way it's written. Uh, it's probably not going to change kind of something huge. So it's not changing fundamentally, or you're not putting a better, uh, I would say, structure or logic in place. You are simply rewriting the template or how it's laid out, actually moving pieces here and there. So uh, that's why uh, that's why you need probably uh, some form of continued discussion in terms of where your team is spending most of your time. There is this concept of uh, spending 20% of time on whatever you want to do. Uh, that kind of is, is okay. So that's why companies do this 80-20 approach that uh, yes, uh, it's perfectly fine for any engineer or any member of the team say, spend 20% of the time in terms of what they want to do, but trying to make sure that there is some more thought around that core 80% time um, is important. And that 
needs to have some sort of team alignment or general consensus in terms of where the team is spending most of the time. Um, it's it's definitely okay to suggest or kind of bring these candidate items to team backlog grooming meetings or just kind of sprint planning meetings, uh, whatever the rituals uh, each team might have and seeing what if more people uh, feel that same thing actually. So if probably more than two or three people out of five, six persons like feels like, yes, that is a problem area, then you can prioritize as kind of the main body of work. Uh, but um, if it does not kind of boil up as a really team critical thing, at the same time, you do not want to curb people's enthusiasm or critical thinking by saying, don't bring these items in the future. You simply kind of make sure that, okay, once the core work is delivered, there's always gonna be some downtime or some kind of 20% time or hackathons where people can uh, experiment or, or kind of just think in bed in terms of would this plan out or not? Because the, the problem with any say refactor or any kind of trying out new concept is even the person proposing has an idea on how it might or might not perform. So it's very difficult to say definitively that if we do this, it's going to change our company's uh, kind of operational style. It's, it's going to deliver so much value. So that's why you need to, you don't need to dismiss it, but you need to plan carefully that it, it, is, it is kind of tackled in, in a little bit kind of less than core work time that it still happens, but does not, um, I would say, affect the core timeline or delivery commitments that already we have made as a business or a company externally. Yeah, yeah, I see how these these rules can can place in the different formats and you give uh, hackathons and these type of styles. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. And I also saw your enthusiasm for the balance, as you mentioned, not to curb the enthusiasm that can kill an engineering culture. So at this point, I'm going to throw you a curveball. So <laughs> okay. an interesting problem. So you talk about how the value can cascade down to, to a, throughout the company, right? We have the, the business and the strategy. We want to go there. And that translates to the teams which means that a team has a purpose or a mission. If they can explain the why, they understand the why, they, they then can be autonomous to deliver the product or service or operate on that area. Now the question. Mm -hmm. How about the problems that sometimes pop up in between teams? So those, yeah. those tricky ones that might be interested or not. How do you, as engineering leader, manage this interesting space in between teams where sometimes there are really interesting problems. Right. And if I may ask a clarifying question so I understand fully, is, is this in terms of uh, inter-team conflict when they're trying to solve the uh, same problem underlying, like uh, a team feeling that the other team should play a more active role or or they thought they would be doing it or probably if a team is trying to solve a problem they realize there's a hard dependency in terms of the other team and how they structure or kind of ask for help or support from the other team that is a, a good use case so we can start there and then we can move to a second one yeah awesome so i think uh i yeah when we were talking about uh for each team trying to figure out uh, how the overall mission or kind of value uh, add uh, means for their team. I 
I think probably there's also one form of subtle uh, step in the middle, either before or after each team has kind of um, had a chance to articulate their own, uh, I would say, roadmap or mission in terms of kind of the team leads or each representative from the team having some form of, uh, I would say, shared discussion to identify patterns, actually, because you also want to be smart as teams on uh, not doing double work or not doing something uh, where the other team can help you and reduce kind of your effort of research and getting set up by 50%. So trying to have some form of shared forum uh, in between teams, and, and that could simply be the leader who or the division lead who's trying to uh, manage these teams actually could be the facilitator of these kind of shared discussion forums or probably often find that some some engineering leader or manager or even some product or design person who's in one team, um, maybe because of the tenure or having high business context is able to figure out that, I think what we're trying to solve here does relate closely to this other team's problem or uh, another team has kind of approached a similar thing in the past, whether they succeeded or whether they failed miserably. And there are some lessons to be learned as we try to attack it for a second time from a company perspective, actually. So there needs to be more, um, I would say, forward thinking when you are having those discussions. Um, either there's clear ownership at, at the executive level or, or within the kind of engineering leaders or team representatives that you are bringing kind of those high level talking points that this coming quarter, if a company is using say the objective key results OKR framework that as a team, we have published our objectives and this is kind of what we're trying to achieve. And then uh, get, everybody is getting a chance to present or talk about that or just uh, there you see also in company all hand meetings where teams present their focus for the upcoming quarter. And that gives you the perfect kind of opportunity to see that if something is going to be intertwined or if uh, there is some form of expertise needed. And that is what we do kind of personally in our teams. When we are going for resourcing and planning meetings for the upcoming quarter, we clearly identify what are some dependencies that we need. And one classic example that often comes up is our platform and infrastructure teams. Probably our teams want to take upon something new or push something new out. And we often say that we need to work closely with our platform and infrastructure team to get this spun up or, or modify the build pipeline or just work with them closely. So it also helps other teams uh, plan their capacity and kind of just a, a style of approach that if there are three own projects, but if there are five other projects from other teams where their input might be needed, then you need to kind of rethink in terms of, okay, how much of your team's time will be spent into delivering your own objectives versus helping other teams enable and deliver their own uh, things. So this is kind of really very active conversations, probably multiple meetings, but um, I would say there is no kind of uh, one single way to do it. The way I have found most success doing it is to have probably two or three meetings, which is just kind of uh, uh, alignment meetings in terms of what each team is trying to focus on, trying to see gaps or overlap or dependencies, and then trying to plan better that, okay, if somebody from other team can will spend uh, two days a sprint assisting kind of the shared initiative or goal, um, it's important actually. 
or oftentimes you will know that if, and I've had this experience, like if as a team, you said we'll do five things and the other team said they're going to do three things, but when you look or talk about these things, you realize that those three things are more critical um, in terms of two out of the five things that you are going. And simply we say that, okay, let's make sure as combination of teams that these three things definitely get done. And you probably de-scope or deprioritize one of your five initiatives to make sure that you can actually help or support the other team to that overall. So it's also, as you said, like teams kind of have their own interpretation or just artifacts produced on how they can deliver value. But then there needs to be a shared forum in terms of how all of these fit into the overall company value. And if something is more important, then clearly other teams want to make sure they have some capacity to support or help deliver that other kind of most important thing. Yep, great. So um, I can see how you help and uh, how you manage the system, which invalidates my second use case because uh, <laughs> you discussed that, which is pretty cool. So at the which leads me to the next question, because you refer the OKRs framework is the, the latest one, could be KPIs and metrics, could be uh, anything that, that drives that. How do you see the feedback cycles with OKRs, right? So some objectives are, are, are set at higher level, right? That then uh, they translate to, to clear results. How about the Slack for things that teams might discover and that then that feedback goes to, to the objectives? How do you manage this type of feedback cycles? Right. So just so I understand, are we are we talking about, okay, companies or teams might send high level objectives or uh, even key results, but while delivering or in the process of delivering those, you might kind of figure out that whether what was stated is too far fetched or we need to revise or it's not possible or how do we deliver feedback kind of up when teams actually try to break apart or kind of just uh, uh deliver on those individual objectives or key results in both situations so uh, okay. those are two great uh, use cases yeah so uh i i think what is important is um and I, we have had this many times that one thing that we have realized even it starts at kind of the sprint planning or just the okrs like if a team in the process of uh just uh, delivering OKRs realizes that they're not able to deliver simply because there were too many other things to focus on or just uh, they completely missed it because they were doing something else. We actually do keep, we have, have kept those things still in the OKRs uh, deliverables for the quarter and would simply say 0, 0.0. But you know, as a kind of company that because there was something else that came up that you didn't deliver, or as a team, you simply miss looking at it. Uh, often happens at times, there's a lot of interest planning at the start of the quarter. You say, we are going to do this. You start doing something, you do one thing, and then you completely forgot that there were two other things that you also promised. And the classic things that come up is uh, refactor the parts of the system, deliver kind of this thing, and then update our documentation or just kind of re draw our architecture diagrams or something. And these documentation parts often get lost while you're cons constantly trying to uh, deliver a stable performance system and deliver new features. Uh, and as a team, we 
a time check penalty for these things actually. Also, the way we score kind of OKRs as a success is 0.7, I think is a standard in terms of if you delivered 70% of a given objective, I think that's a success. Like it's probably if more than 0.6 or 0.7, it's, it's success because if you are able to deliver all the objectives in kind of a given quarter every single time, that means you're not uh, challenging your teams enough or you're not stretching more lofty goals actually, right? It's, it's okay as a team to deliver 70% of something North Star or, or really kind of uh, uh, that 150% target than every single time set a, a really basic objectives and say, we completed, we completed. So it's okay to always have that growth mindset as teams actually. And the result that we keep 0.7 or just this kind of that number, which is less is, we do account for that 20% as, as teams say WTF times in terms of a, a firefighting situation, a production incident, people taking time off, uh, us getting kind of in hiring thing, going through a reorg, trying to how to retain a customer, something or the other might come up that it's, it's always kind of, you have, to take, you have to take those kind of hairline cuts in terms of what your team can actually deliver uh, in the sense. So if you're able to deliver kind of more than 70, 75% of an objective, which was probably a lofty uh, to begin with, then I think that's a huge success actually. So we definitely, um, in, in the past companies, whatever we commit as, as kind of objectives to focus on as start of a quarter, we never change those. Either some get 0.7, some get 0.0, .0 because the team or the companies understand that either there was a lot going on or we simply miss that as a team. And then the next kind of a quarter, it becomes even more important to deliver on the documentation because it's, it still is a big red 0.0 and you will talk in front of the entire company all hands that, uh, well, we completely miss this as a team. Actually, I have no real excuse or reason for that. I see, I see. And, and for those also, I think that that is an important ingredient that is the psychology safety, right? So. Yeah. Stand up in front of the whole company and say, "Well, we oversee uh, these type of things." Absolutely. So, uh, one of the last questions: How how do you promote this psychology safety and this uh, this sharing culture within your teams? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's very uh, easier said than done. In terms of, uh, it's always going to, uh, with any little departure, nothing to do with the company or the things or with every kind of little reorg or every kind of renewed focus or with every P0 customer issue, uh, always people are going to have some form of uh, uh, insecurity, if I may, in terms of, uh, is this something bad? Does this affect us? Um, uh, am I going to back under? Is our team going to face consequence? It does take a lot of work as kind of engineers or for anyone for that matter to constantly deliver kind of that psychological safe message, either in team meetings or in one-on-ones more and more in terms of just, uh, um, and I think a lot of that let me take a step back now that I say that. It starts with building trust and rapport, actually, like a, a separate, total important topic altogether. Like how do you build trust with uh, new team members, new company or new team or relationships? So 
as a manager, leader, or just kind of as someone that people on the team would look up to you, actually, you need to make sure that you're not saying things for the sake of it, or you're not simply not saying things just because you don't want to hurt someone as a person. You need to be radically candid in terms of transparency is key um, in the sense, like if things are great, you relay them back uh, that it looks like we might uh, kind of be considering team promotions. If, t- if things are not great, you kind of make twice the effort to relay that, that the upcoming quarter looks like we're not gonna hit our target. So we might not be able to go for those promotions, but what we are trying to do is ensure that nobody gets impacted. So that that just gives people kind of a lot of um, confidence and trust that, okay, we are given a reasonable heads up. The last thing people want is surprises in their day-to-day roles when they're working hard and everybody does work hard. And especially in the pandemic times, you see people are working long hours, trying to balance work, life, many things in the sense. So good or bad, I would say just surface it the right way, right? You don't want to suddenly say it's great, great, great. And one day say, uh, we had a meeting and I think we're going to go through huge changes. So you don't also want to give false positives or keep them kind of in blind uh, in, in the sense. Always uh, over time in one-on-ones, like probably every month or so, like every, I do bi-weekly one-on-ones. So every two to three one-on-ones, giving them some form of general pulse of the company or the teams or whatever you get. Like oftentimes we also are still the frontline middle management. We also might not have the most context uh, while the executives are still trans the C-levels are still figuring out um, what decision to ultimately take or how would that impact and there's, but whatever limited information we have, at least saying that, and I often do that with my teams, like there is some form of discussion going on I don't have a definitive direction. If I know something, I'll let you know. I'll let you know more. But for now, it's business as usual. And at least even if nothing happens, uh, it's okay. But if something were to happen, they know that three months ago that was mentioned somewhere or it was raised somewhere. And that just builds more and more trust and honesty that you are not saving things for the last or you're not giving them surprises. And I think if you give people decent heads up, everyone can kind of plan in advance on how to deal with that or they are much more calm when it actually comes to dealing with that situation if it happens. Uh, So I would say building trust, um, uh, forming those relationships and keeping kind of a transparent and open life communication is really, really important uh, in these situations, actually. I also agree with you and thanks for sharing thanks for sharing your experience and how do you handle this this is also very personal um and with this we are uh, uh, getting closer to the end of the episode and i have one last question to you uh, the question that i always ask mm-hmm. what are the resources that you recommend to the audience to deepen the, the, the knowledge on the subjects that we just discussed today yeah uh, i think there is a I, I, I think we are in kind of the best uh, situation we can be as teams or companies uh, in um, in terms of the amount of learning and plethora of resources available at our disposal, whether it is master classes to once more articles or something. But for me, I primarily follow kind of the work of 
three people, along with reading a lot of kind of books. Uh, uh, I still read a lot of books uh, or watch kind of little snippets, but I follow the work of three people closely. One is Marty Kagan, who just helps uh, kind of uh, uh, establish or just give a deep dive into how to build products customer love or just how to uh, be successful as a product development team actually. So that is really important for me in terms of having that product and customer mindset, even being in the engineering discipline, because that is a huge amount of content that is important that will help and deliver my work well. The second that I follow the work of is, is somebody called Esther Darby. I was actually really fortunate to speak with her just uh, last Friday for the first time. And uh, she uh, has kind of pioneered what we call this agile retrospectives um, in the sense. And that just kind of helps uh, me learn things that would help our teams be grounded. So what is important that if your your team is delivering something rare is high performing you don't want to get lost in that success or just want to get too self-absorbed that we are doing great you still need to stick to retrospectives the rituals uh, because oftentimes what we are seeing as problems might be symptoms and the underlying problem might be something totally different so it's important to talk among kind of folks or in the team to rally that Yes, you were successful, but at what cost? Everyone work over time every single day. This reads the whole purpose. So those things could kind of should come up in a retrospective. So I like the whole pragmatic take on on kind of that in terms of team operational style. And then probably the third and, and the one that I follow the most and is is really I, I love it is is a work or or bite-sized teachings of Simon Sinek. Uh, he is just an inspirational leadership coach and he does short videos or just kind of articles. And that is how I've learned the two most fundamental important things as a leader, as an engineer, or as this kind of a, a, a person who's, who's kind of responsible for leading a team or a mission is find your why and the infinite mindset. You should have finite checkpoints, but trying to have an infinite mindset is key, actually. Um, if you're thinking small, then you'll only be able to deliver that. But if, as I said, if you aim for the North Star and whatever you deliver will be much, much more than your finite, finite mindset. And then uh, you actually touch upon this, I think earlier in the uh, conversation is finding your why is critical. So um, yeah, Marty Kagan, Esther Darby and Simon Sinek are the ones I follow kind of more on a day-to-day -day regular basis. Great, thanks, thanks to share. Uh, I will make sure that resources are on description of this episode. And with your suggestions, we come to an end. Everything has an end, it's not infinite, this yes. episode. <laughs> And I want once again to thank you for uh, for your time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me again on the show. So it's really a wonderful conversation, and it's, it's it's great to also say out loud these things, and helps me kind of also uh, validate or just kind of think through if I was missing out on something that I said uh, today here, and it's time for me to go back and just kind of correct that as well. Thanks, thanks. I'm grateful for that. All right. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Thanks, you too. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast. Visit our website, softwarecraftspodcast.com or visit our page on LinkedIn. Hope to see you next week.